The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Welcome to the Faculty Futures Lab, brought to you by San Diego State University and the Initiative for Inclusive Leadership. My name is Joanna Brooks, and I'm the Associate Vice President for Faculty Advancement and Student Success. And I'm really happy to have back with me today Professor Lacey Barber, who is a newly tenured and promoted professor of psychology at SDSU. Hi, Lacey. Hi. And she specializes in industrial and workplace psychology, which, believe it or not, matters to academics because we do work in a workplace, um, as she'll explain to us in just a minute. And I'm also pleased to welcome um, two of um, the alum of our Institute for Inclu Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, Professor DJ Hopkins in the School of Theater, Television, and Film. Hi there. DJ. And Professor Michael Borgstrom, um, who is in the Department of English and Comparative Literature. Thanks so much. Okay, Lacey. So... You study the workplace. You actually study how people treat each other at work. And maybe we use your advice. Help? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of times we get confused with uh, human resource management. I would call it more humane resource management. So mm. it's really the science of a smarter workplace, both in terms of efficiency, but also worker well-being. So what can we do to make the workplace, someplace where people really thrive and are happy to be there. And and what I love about conversations with you, Lacey, is that you remind me time and time again, there's actually a science. There are actually people doing peer-reviewed research on how to solve or at least address some of the challenges we face as faculty in an academic workplace. <laughs> yeah. True? Yeah, and we, we name all the problems that you're having. So we have labels for them. <laughs> You name the problems. Yeah. This is I, such a refreshing idea. You mean we're not terminally unique? You mean these are not special, special my problems? Yeah. You know what, what really resonated with people on my work on telepressure, which is a term I totally made up but made a measure for, and now it's a thing. Take um, notes. Take <laughs> notes. You got to give us the definition now. What is the uh, definition of telepressure? I don't, I don't know. I don't think anyone's ever experienced this before. It's so rare. Um, ha ha. <laughs> it is the uh, preoccupation with an urge to respond quickly to text-based mes messages like you're face-to-face. -face. So it's when we start treating these asynchronous or time-flexible technologies more like synchronous and face-to-face. -face. So when you are get, or when you get that text and you have to respond quickly or feel like you have to respond quickly that's telepressure. Yeah, and especially in connection with work, right? I mean, there are countries yep. in which there are labor regulations in place that you are not supposed to be contacted by work by any means after certain hours. But in the U.S., <laughs> it's the beauty of the frontier, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. you know, instead then of legislation, Lacey, what do we have? <laughs> 
fix it yourself. (laughs) That's what they, that's what most of the approach is. And what we've been working with organizations is to understand that people think, well, okay, you just have to set your own boundaries for these types of things, but people can't set their own boundaries. We actually do need some help with organizations to set those norms and expectations um, that it's okay to recover and take time off. Right. That's recovery is a critical concept I learned from you. And and it was one I had kind of experienced intuitively earlier in my career. I was like, um, if I respond to certain kind of emails after a certain time of day, I'm not going to be as sharp. I'm not going to be as thoughtful. I might overreact. I'm way better in the morning. So anyway, there's so much we have to learn from you. Um, We did an earlier episode with you, actually sort of a prequel episode, um, late spring with about faculty parents. And that came out of my experience, out of your experience, um, out of the experience of so many men, women, um, you know, um, uh, non-male, non-female identified people who happen to be parents, um, the incredible pressure that the pandemic has put on people to try and homeschool and educate students from home and maintain all the other things faculty are supposed to be doing. Um, and we had a panel of women, including a woman who, a brand new um, brand new mom um, who's in our Fowler College of Business, right, sharing her experience, like infant born into pandemic land, parents in another country can't come to help. So this has been a really stressful time. And now here we are, and it's August, Lacey. <laughs> I'm in denial. I am too. Yeah. Mike, you in denial? DJ, you in uh, denial? I, yeah. I don't even think that begins to describe <laughs> the, the amount of procrastination that I've been doing when that is not usually part of my wheelhouse. <laughs> You're usually all. on top of things. I know you, Mike Borgstrom. DJ, I, denial? I, I could absolutely have said the sentence that Mike just uttered. Uh, it, it's it, Procrastination has never been a thing. And I've really had to, I feel like I've overcome it. I've been research active. I've shifted my attention now that it's August, what one of my colleagues recently called syllabus month. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am looking at this, but of course, also, I feel like everything is coming through a, like an eyedropper in, in terms of like kids oh, are at yeah. home, work-life balance is, mm-hmm. is what is that anymore? So yeah. yes, I recognize all the things you're saying. Yeah, and I mean, and, and, you know, I am sometimes asked, how are faculty feeling right now? And I'm like, they're hiding. They're hiding. Like, the stresses of spring semester with the pivot, the heroic pivot, I should say, faculty did an amazing job pivoting format um, and showing um, exemplary regard for the needs of our students. Um, That plus, you know, the murder of George Floyd and the protract, you know, and the conversation about racial justice and that tied many of us in a continuing way to our campus communities far longer than we're used to. And, you know, summer is important. Summer is important. I think, you know, I was realizing earlier this summer as I was thinking about it, you know, academia is an intentional community. We agree to engage in a certain intense, you know, prolonged way, and then you need a break. Everyone needs to go back to their corner. Um, And and we haven't had as much of that. And, DJ, I really like what you said about everything's coming at you through an eyedropper because literally it's coming through our eyeballs all the time now, Zoom, right? We are Zoom, Zoom, (laughs) Zoomed out, (laughs) Zoom, how do I say, exhaustion, Zoomostion, like, it's hard, 
Um, it's difficult to have the main medium of our professional um, lives be all about seeing. And so we're going to talk with Lacey for just a little bit about why does Zoom hurt so much? Why do we want to lay down um, and, you know, binge watch um, episodes of Nurse Jackie for, I don't know, six hours asking for a friend after being on Zoom all day? Um, you know, what is it? And there's science, there's actual science here and, and there's science of how to do it better, right, Lacey? So first, mm-hmm. give us a little explainer. Why does Zoom hurt from a psychological, you know, from a psychologist's point of view? What's the neuropsychology here? Um, well, I mean, this has gone back to like when teleconferencing was even new, right? In the 90s, um, that, that started be, to become a thing. And some of the early studies were looking at this and found that people had trouble um, focusing as much and engaging and, um, we're just more tired afterwards. And a lot of that is just the, the cognitive burden of what it takes to focus in this medium is so different. And part of it is because when we're just not practiced at it. Um, so part of it is we, we really kind of miss all the, the cues that we get non-verbally, and um, it's easier to, when we're in the same room, we can tell who's talking. That we, we miss these little cues. I don't know if any of you had these seminars, but I had a grad seminar where um, it was so hard switching to online Zoom because, um, you know, everyone goes, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And you're thinking, why is this so hard? Like, we, we don't do that as much in person. And it's because how many times are you sitting in a meeting and next to you, the person you're about to say something and you hear this from the other person. You hear like that intake of breath, right? And so you stop because you're like, oh, they're about to say something. We don't get that anymore. Like you use the, completely lose those cues. And then one of the worst ones that we have too, when we're talking and having all these meetings, we're not looking at ourselves. <laughs> we're not looking at a picture of ourselves talking. And that takes up so much space in our brain psychologically because we're worried am I am I touching my face am I um what's that on my nose that I have (laughs) you know so you're you're just kind of panicking what your presentation mode is more so um we call that self-awareness and then there's tons of studies that show my favorite ones are the choking literature like choking from uh sports um to this idea that like choking under pressure what makes people choke under pressure is you go up to someone who is a world famous golfer and you say, okay, for this next shot, I want you to really think about what you're doing here. So the self-consciousness actually makes us choke. Okay, good to know. And the better better you are, and they found this too, the better, the more practice you are, the more of an expert you are, the higher even cognitive capacity you have. So these people that really think quickly on all cylinders, you take all that brain space and you focus it on yourself instead of just going into that muscle memory of like, oh, this is how I interact. So we're all back in that space on how do I interact? How do I be a person on, on Zoom? I mean, really, three, one, three weeks into the great Zoom experiment, that was spring 2020, I, I did not like myself. I did not like myself at all. I looked at that person. I was like, she talks way too much. Did you have that experience, DJ? Or was that self-loathing a gendered phenomena, perhaps? I don't know. Just I, I don't know theorizing. that I would characterize it as gendered, but I definitely was having a difficult time because I was I was recording lectures. 
Yeah. That, that was my experience of the, the first days of Zoom. The, the pivot that you talked about mm-hmm. was I'm trying to figure out how to record things, how to post lectures. I was teaching a small grad seminar and had some of the experiences that Lacey described, but I'm also teaching a 170 student lecture course where my students are now distributed literally all around the sure. world. So sure. I had to set up an asynchronous course. And so I was looking at myself a lot, but I think there was just so much need to crank out product yeah. that maybe that left me less thinking yeah. about myself and more just focusing on, I've got to do this so that now I can help my kid get to math or whatever. Right. That's a, that's a good thing, I think. Um, well, so Lacey, we're looking down the barrel of an indeterminate number of months ahead of us of um, Zoom. Um is there any chance for redeeming this medium, right? Like, how do we do this better? Um, How do we, whether you're a department chair trying to set up a department meeting on Zoom, a committee chair running a Senate committee for the university, um, or a faculty member teaching a course online, what what are your recommendations based on the scientific (laughs) literature? Because it exists, right? It does exist, and I think it's hard particularly for academics to realize there are many jobs outside of academia and those jobs have been online for a long time (laughs) and most people have been managing this um, quite a bit and so this whole I like paper-based forms I really like paper-based forms (laughs) I love libraries I love filing cabinets go ahead Lacey fine Oh, yeah. Embrace, academics need to embrace the technology of today as much as possible. And it's great because once you get the hang of it or you know how to use it, and this is the whole key to everything really, is understanding the medium shift. Like what what is great for paper? Joanna, you're completely right. Some things are amazing for paper, um, but in, in person, same thing. But there's other things that work a lot better in the technological medium. And so the first one, I think the first tip I had is this idea of um, we've always had bad meetings anyway. So I'm just going to put this out there. Like people are bad at meetings, but we've been more tolerant of mistakes when we're in person. We can correct for that a little bit better. And so basically what has happened that now that it's moved online, um, the bad things that we're doing in typically in meetings just get worse as it goes on um, with technology. So um, one of the tips that I give people is make sure to move most of your agenda items to time flexible formats. And I would say this, even if we were meeting in person, because I think most meetings, I mean, we've all heard it, right? Like this meeting could have been an email and it could have been an email. Um, So I think that's the that's the thing, like what part of those meetings could be an email anyway? And that's what we call one-way communication. I'm just giving you updates, some FYI information. And then there's other parts of meetings that really do require two-way communication in terms of input and I want ideas. But here's where those fell apart as well, I think, in the in-person um, environment. When you just ask people, okay, here's an item on the list, what do you think? what typically happens is people don't have time to really reflect on that. Or if you have those fast thinkers or extroverted folks that are like on it and they're like ready to go. And, you know, people that need a little bit more time to think, they're thinking like they're really quiet in that meeting and you're not really getting input from everyone. So if I say curriculum reform, go. Go. How do you feel? Like like the typical much talkers will do the much talking and the typical non-talkers will do the non-talking. And 
we'll, you're suggesting maybe we won't discover new things in this space because it's too unstructured. Yeah. And so you're thinking, how can we move a lot of that meeting to time flexible formats where here's the agenda, here are some announcements, and then here are some things we're going to discuss in the meeting. That's what we want to spend the most time on, but here's some starter information to think about. And so that gives people time, and you can do this two ways, either just here, think about it, or put it on some sort of discussion board or forum or Google Drive where people can add their thoughts there and then say, okay, we just want a initial feedback, but then we're going to use meeting time to really hash this out like really hash out these ideas. And that's a good use of, of meeting time anyway. So I think really just focusing on um, giving people time and for those folks that not, not just need the time to provide their input um, just because they need more time to think, but because we have childcare issues or other things going on that I can wait till the kid's taking a nap and then right. I can go in and really engage in this before right. the meeting. I mean, it reminds me like Mike of the flip classroom, right? Mike, DJ, like, you know, what they've been teaching us about, you know, asynchronous and synchronous programming for our courses this fall. What do you think? I think that's true, Joanna. Um, what occurs to me though is, is how we balanced the need for human connection that meetings can provide apart from just the communication of different materials. You know what I mean? And the same thing is true, I think, for classes. But with classes, you have a kind of built-in structure that allows then for um, a kind of maintenance of how conversations evolve. So it sounds like you're saying, Lacey, like we should actually maybe think about relaxing that outside of the classroom with, with colleagues and, and so forth in and, and different informational meetings that we have with folks. Is that, is that accurate? In terms of relaxing, um, I guess, could I ask for more clarification? Sure. For instance, I was, um, I was chair of my department for many years and I always went into meetings with like lecture notes, you know, like everything was structured so that time would remain focused and, and with an agenda and with a, with a completion do you, do you see what I mean? And so yeah. now I'm wondering if if that needs to be relaxed in terms of what you're talking about, because there's so much that is not available to us in these new kinds of formats that we could pick up on oh. in in-person conversations. Like, can you do part of the agenda, all the announcements, just like put them up on Google Docs, have that everyone can scroll through that as they attend the meeting. But then this, I think, leads into your next tip, Lacey, keeping the substance of the meeting itself really focused on the thing that needs actual acute engagement, right? Yeah. So the time we have together is quality time. Yeah, and I think to also go extend Mike's point too, because I'm getting this like, you know, the agenda, so there's two parts of the agenda. The agenda can feel almost too formal. Like I, this is the only thing we cover. But I think like I always put at the beginning of all my agenda with my students are well-being check-ins. How are you guys doing? What have you been up to? And, and um, you know, how, how are you, you know, you, so you kind of start with some of the, I do use those meeting times for that interaction. Um, and actually, I think moving some of the, we'll say boring announcements that I don't have to go in on, but there's also really fun ones too. Like I want to draw attention to who, who recently got tenure, who had this big award. Um, I do want to note that and everyone can clap and do their happy emojis on there. And I think that is part of a good team building strategy. But I think what this does is let you dump a bunch of things that people get really bored 
listening to um, into a, stand, a different format. But, and so to that point, keeping the, that was the second tip on keeping the real time meeting agenda short and focused. I think that we have two parts of the meeting we're discussing here. There's a people focused and a task focused part of every meeting. And so again, I think thinking about what can you do to increase community and discussion where it's not like we just have to use it for task oriented getting work done, but also taking time to interact and ask how each other are doing. But this, this leads back, the bigger part of this argument is making sure that whenever you schedule any Zoom meeting, you really need to think about what am I gonna cover in that meeting and try not to make it too big. And so, um, you know, less faces on your Zoom are easier to process. And so who really does need to be part of that discussion and agenda? And so there's so many ways we can handle this well on, on Zoom too. And just thinking about when you go in and you're the chair of a department, what really needs everybody's input and discussion? And then what can we use breakout rooms for? Or what can we say, hey, we're gonna stick around and talk about this curriculum issue in a little bit more detail. If you're interested, stick around. And I think really just thinking about who really wants to be involved in those discussions and needs to be involved in discussions before just scheduling everybody to come to everything. And that takes a very thoughtful way to break up those meetings. So you're not having a huge one or two hour meeting that everyone has to sit through and they're gonna zone out, right? Or multitask or do other things. But how can I break up these meetings in a way where we have shorter meetings and meetings where there's a fewer amount of people to engage? Very task focused, very, you know, the closest working group should meet, right? And yeah. then if there's something that requires department ratification, it can go as an action item, but, you know, with a recommendation and things don't get hashed out in original in a meeting room full of 50 people on a Friday afternoon. That being said, that <laughs> being said, you have to balance this with exclusion, right? So uh, you you don't want to exclude people that wanted to be part of it or couldn't be part of it. And so this is where that time flexible stuff comes in too. Everyone can provide input. So, hey, everyone provides input and then we're going to have this meeting, but you don't have, you can opt out of that meeting. And here's the other kick. If, if it's okay to do so, I understand some issues. This may not work for privacy reasons. Record the meeting. Record the meeting. We had this discussion and here's the video if you want to go and see why we made that decision and how we came right. to that conclusion. Right. Right. Well, is there, and so I see your, your third tip is about time. And, you know, I wonder, um, is there any time that's the optimal time for Zoom meetings? I mean, I'm thinking like nap time, thinking <laughs> back to our parents' panel. You know, I mean, my kids, my kids are teenagers. Nap time is they sleep from 5 a.m. till noon because COVID. Um, but, you know, like what is the best time to meet for Zoom and uh, for Zoom meetings in, in the academic workplace setting? Yeah, so this third tip was uh, just establishing a core Zoom meeting day or hour time that most people can expect to have those meetings. So the worst part of Zoom meetings is that they're all scheduled all across our, our days in these little chunks. And for you know trying to get research done or any focused task, we don't have a good chunk of time to get things done when you're constantly Zooming from one meeting to another. And so Part of it is establishing with ever, whatever work group unit or team that you have or is just having that discussion ahead of time on what are going to be our core Zoom meeting days or time or hours. So 
we're not going to have a standing meeting. You never want to schedule a lot of standing meetings, but you can expect us when we need to schedule a meeting, could everyone clear out between like 10, 10 o'clock and two on Mondays and Wednesdays, for example. And so having that predictability is not just about scheduling that day, but having the predictable time off is key. So having everyone has their own protected times. And I think that's going to differ for a lot of people. Like I'm a morning work person. Um, I want to focus very, do all my hard cognitive work in the morning. And so I try to schedule as many of my meetings in the afternoon as possible. Um, but some other people aren't like that. But, you know, if I have most of my mornings free, I don't mind having Zoom meetings if I know that my team wants to meet Friday mornings, for example. Right. So protected time, really sectioning off time so you can achieve that state of concentration that academics, artists, scholars, scientists, researchers need. Um, your next tip is so interesting to me. Uh, turn off the video. My video is on right now. Turn it off. Okay. Why? Well, this goes back to that initial stress we talked about on um, looking at yourself. And if you have your screen up, which Zoom kind of does that, if you have it on speaker view, that you see yourself uh, and then you're overanalyzing what you're saying. <laughs> and so I just I, stopped my video. Is this distracting you? I stopped my video. Can you still stress me? I'm okay, watching I'm back. because I can I can see the switch off. <laughs> Go ahead, but 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 why does it help me to have my video off? So because then I'm not you're not you're it's and yeah, and it's not just self-consciousness, it's other reasons. Um uh I, I have to turn my video off and my microphone off too. Like if I know like, oh, I have my my dogs coming in or my my son needs to come in for a second, and I know that it's not gonna distract other people. Um so I'm worried about distracting other people with my background as well. And so you know, you can get embarrassed with childcare interruptions, your appearance, like sometimes I just, you know, don't want professional look with a certain group of people. And so, but you know, my picture on Zoom always looks very professional. Right. Exactly. A- and not all of us have the same kind of workspaces at home. Some of us are sharing them with a partner. Some of us are working from garages. Some of us are working from our cars, like literally. Um, so, you know, it kind of, it sounds like what you're saying is that when you turn off the video, you sort of lower the pressure threshold so we can all focus on the content, focus on each other's voices and ideas and be a little less self-conscious, um, and, and relieve some of the cognitive strain. Um, and then this last one is reiterating a classic Lacey Barber theme, recovery time. Yes. Protect it. Go ahead. Recovery time. So um, this is just basic stress theory stuff. So whenever you are working hard on anything, um, you know, that is going to put some amount of stress on your body, whether it's focus. Um, And so if you don't take time to recover, you're going to move into that exhaustion phase. And so one thing that I talk with organizations a lot about is because they love engagement, right? You want engaged workers, engagement. And I ask for a little tweak, which says, I think what you want is sustainable engagement. And sustainable engagement means that we want you at 100%, but we know that you're not a robot and you can't give us 100% all the time. And so we want you to have these predictable times off, planned time off, whether it's through these Zoom meetings or vacation time, and to really take time to um, recharge your batteries so you can focus more. Because what, what we often see is that, you know, 
we have this happen a lot where we feel overextended and we're focused a lot and we're like, I couldn't finish this task. So I have to, I have to keep working on it. And you just become a lot more inefficient. You make more errors. You're not focusing as much. And so it's better just to take the break and then come back to it and you'll get it done more. My, my favorite psychology factoid, by the way. So for those of you that stay up really long time or, um, have trouble going to sleep, <laughs> the importance of sleep. So there is research showing that when you hit about that 18th to 19th consecutive hour of being awake, it is equivalent to having a blood alcohol level above the legal limit. I believe it. So, <laughs> and so think about how many of us yeah. are putting, to, putting together lectures sleep drunk. <laughs> and writing manuscripts and we're sleep drunk. We, we really, you know, and, and you can tell I've done it before. Like I, you know, kept going. I was like, no, I have to get this done. And then I go the next morning and I look at it and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't completely with it, you know, so it's much more efficient to just shut it down, go to bed, wake up, start again when you're refreshed. I'm just curious, Mike, because I, I will admit I've been a convert to this idea of actual recovery time and actual time boundaries. Um, and so I've been practicing it for a little while. I'm just curious, how is this landing for you, Mike and DJ? How is this landing for you in terms of, you know, what you feel is expected of you and what you feel like you can actually muster in a sustainable way as faculty? It, it resonates in so many different ways, especially what Lacey was just talking about, about the idea of recovery. Um, I think part of what this does for me is it reminds me is that my body tells me these things and that often I just choose to ignore it. But faculty and, don't have bodies. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's totally true. Um, I will say, though, that given the, the, the kind of weird pressures of the pandemic, the capacity for the body to tell you what it is that it needs has actually amped up. You know, like I know when I need to like shut the computer down. I know when I need to get out of the house and move. Um, and so it sounds like part of the the trick that Lacey's actually asking us to uh, abide by is like obeying what your body is telling you to do in order to keep that body going. I think that one of the challenges is that sometimes the exigencies of what it is that we know we need doesn't don't always match up with what other people's needs are. You know, so um, if you're being required to attend a meeting or you have to send out a bunch of emails or whatever it is that happens, that actually becomes less uh, like tenable to say no to in the pandemic because everybody assumes that we're just home and looking at our computers all the time. So there's, it sounds like there's a kind of fundamental mismatch that requires us to exert some kind of agency in order to make sure that we're protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ? Yeah, that, that definitely resonates. Uh, I, when I was director of the School of Theater, Television, and Film, when I, for the first two years, I thought the thing to do was to get up at five and immediately start sending email. And for those two years, I sent thousands and thousands of emails, and my time was totally captive to my inbox. Ooh. And at some point, it dawned on me that I was really not my best person because I was beginning the day <laughs> with this an enormous level of stress and mm -hmm. uh, I've now switched it to I get up by 5:30 and it's uh meditation and yoga and then Good like job. Lacey I I do try to do 
my cognitive work in the morning. Uh, and that used to be I'd work a little while, then I'd make breakfast for my kids and send them to school, and then I'd get back to work. And now that little <laughs> daily adjustment doesn't happen. So uh, that's where we get back to the getting work done in an eyedropper. But my day begins with um, really uh, with self-care and structuring the way and, and you know thinking about how I'm going to address my day in, in a conscious way. And it works. And yeah. Yeah. It works. You're able to get stuff done. Really? Promise? Well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a better person. Uh, and that was the thing. Well, no. I send yeah. fewer emails. So if the goal is who can send the most email, well, DJ, right. who was sending a lot of emails, he won. He sent the most emails. Yeah. <laughs> and they were nice emails, too. They were totally punctuated. They were well-formulated. I had a faculty member say to me at some point, this is by far the best written administrative memo I've ever seen. And it dawned on me that that was a compliment and <laughs> maybe not something I wanted to be striving for with every single email I sent. So my emails are less worthy of, you know, like the collected emails of DJ Hopkins. They're, they're less worthy of being anthologized but I'm cranking out product, I'm a better person, and I'm able to focus more on the things I really care about. I'm not sure the email wasn't the product, and maybe it was, yeah. Uh, well, there's the, the yoga and the meditation, which helps me be a better person. And I'm working on a book project and I've done that, you know, the heroic pivot that you, you said, you know, you pointed out, we all did earlier moving classes online and I'm, I'm present for my research. I'm present for my students, even when, you know, I'm not physically present and I'm mm -hmm. present for the people I interact with at work and at home. And I think ways that I couldn't be, wasn't able to be when my focus was thousands of emails. Right, right, yeah. right. And, well, and sort of, go ahead, Lacey. Oh, yeah. D DJ hit on my favorite topic. The <laughs> I call it the email hamster wheel in the morning. Yeah. Because you can do a whole episode on email. Oh, man. I've internalized your email rules, but I think the world needs to know them. Oh, goodness. In the, the email hamster wheel, I, I tell people you're, I mean, it's like the hamster's reward for getting through the wheel is more wheel. And that's exactly how email <laughs> works. So the faster you, and the more emails you send and the faster you do it, the more you get it. And mm -hmm. um, you're, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, that's why to me, it's just more wheel. And so you have to think about like, I, that's not the, the wheel I want to be on. And I think like that morning routine is so important too, like getting that head start because I think DJ hit on the point, like he, he accomplished work. Uh, those are important administrative emails and, and helping coordinate your teams. And a lot of things can, can go well by getting that email out in the morning, but it's one of those tasks that um, we feel are very uh, urgent um, tasks, but they're not really important. And so it's like when we make it through a lot of tasks during our day, but those aren't the tasks that we're passionate about. Right. You know, or that align with the reward structures. Yeah, there DJ, is no tenure for answering email. There is exactly. no promotion for being the best email answerer on campus. None. 
Well, DJ didn't go into this job saying, um, man, I hope like I can get through all those emails. <laughs> like that's not what you got you into this job. And so what, what ends up happening is we start doing all, we, we kind of mistake tasks for meaning, um, right. like in meaningful work. And so we have to really protect. So in terms of protecting recovery time, I'll even say we have to be protective of our meaningful work time is really what mm-hmm. helps and us calendar it. Well, and this pivots nicely back to meetings, right? So when we're in the spaces together, let's recognize it as an incredibly precious opportunity mm-hmm. to reconnect with our colleagues whom we rely upon to get the work of the university done, but also to focus our energies, you know, on the thing. What is the thing we can solve in this 30-minute interval or, or address or move the next 10 yards down the football field to make my father proud with a football analogy? Like, what can we do in this 30-minute frame or 40-minute frame, knowing that people are going to be sort of toast beyond that, knowing that a lot of everything else can be handled in a Google Doc, in a regular weekly bulletin of announcements, in a discussion board, right? So... Really, that sense of presence DJ spoke to so beautifully, like to be actually really present with your colleagues to focus on the thing that is most needful. And and the think about that purpose of that meeting. So I, I usually say there are two really important purposes of meetings. And the first pur- purpose is accountability. So accountability, like what did we get done? What did we say we were going to do to be accountable to each other, to our team, to our department, Right. And then the second one people forget about, and it's motivation. How can we inspire the next thing we need to get done? And so, you know, coming together as a group, like you said, treating that time precious, it's for how can we get motivated on this task so then we can all disperse and go get stuff done and then come back to another meeting to be accountable? Did we do the things we said we were going to do? And then can we inspire each other to get things done in the meantime? And if you lose sight of those two things in a meeting, mm-hmm. like what's the meeting for, right? So oh, I've seen meetings go down some train tracks and just wander away. I don't know. What yeah. about you, DJ? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Even before, even in the before times, there, there was a <laughs> before, there was before the sickness came. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there, there was the meme, this meeting could have been an email. There has been for a long time disappointment popularly among people who have meetings that meeting management hasn't been ideal. I think there, as much as I really have a strong sense memory of so many things that you've described, Lacey, uh, about the some of the meetings I've attended on Zoom, uh, th- there are things I never want to give up. Th- and I think that Zoom meetings make visible so many things that have been taken for granted. Hmm. And to hmm. me, it's even clearer in, in my teaching. And if I may, I'd like to circle back to the subject that Mike briefly brought up earlier. I've been listening to everything that you've been saying, and I've also been, I- I- I've been feeling it in the way you've described meetings and running a comparison with, with my teaching, Mm -hmm. because I've learned so much about my own teaching Mm -hmm. from teaching remotely. Mm -hmm. Earlier, Joanna said she's uh, invested in paper-based communications professionally (laughs) as a literature scholar, Uh, perhaps Mike too. I'm a theater historian. I'm a theater scholar. I'm invested in 
uh, enliveness, even if I'm skeptical about the word I used earlier, presence. Uh, so I've always resisted remote teaching, but now here we are, we're all doing it. And there are things I really like about it that mm -hmm. I don't want to give up. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what are the things that maybe, um, well, Lacey, here's the question. What, where do you see correlations between what you're saying about meetings and what you're saying about teaching? Maybe oh. in your own experience complete overlap. It's the same thing. I think uh, what you're pointing to, the same issue. It's it's funny. I just I gave a talk on this too on people talking about virtual lab and how do you run your lab virtually. And I talked about in the lab space. So this is the research context that I was like, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you know, they want to say, what, what are good leadership practices online? I said, good leadership practices online are good leadership practices. It's just that you've been getting away with bad leadership offline, and now it's more obvious. And same thing with teaching. Good teaching, you know, is the same, like what you do with good teaching practices, because the goal is this abstract, like I want to engage students. I want to, um, I want them to, to really wrestle with this problem. And you can recreate all those things online um, with the right tools and medium and setup and preparation. And so again, what we learn, and I, I'm completely with you, DJ, it's the same thing. Like you step back in your, and as I'm going through my lectures and other things, I'm like looking at, I'm putting a lot of time in to revamp some things because I was thinking, well, I think it went fairly well in class, but now that it's online, when I have to do that online video, I can really see where I might have skipped some logical steps or where they re where it really fell apart. And so I think it's made me a clearer and better teacher because I also, I'm not yes. doing an hour lecture. So when I have a 50 minute class, I do a 15, 15 minute lecture, a 20 minute lecture, I shorten it. And then, so what I'm excited about when, um, when we go back to in-person, when the sickness leaves. When the sickness leaves. <laughs> is retaining all that good stuff that I had online, but yes. then using my in-person time with them to really engage and, and work through work through all the fun confusion part, right? That's what they want. Like, here's the activity, here's the thing, and, and they thought they had it and then it's gone and really going into those common misconceptions and, and saying like, yeah, this is hard stuff and we're learning it together. And um, that's the fun part of the teaching and the engagement. And I feel like we don't get that as much on the lecture side, even when it's like, oh, I lecture a little bit and have a little bit of activity. It's like, no, I think like more activities, more of this space, more of the group discussion, more of the community is what they want. And so now it's, how can we recreate that online? Mike, what are you thinking? I think this is really fascinating. And, and what DJ was saying in relation to Lacey um, helped to crystallize a whole bunch of things for me. Basically, what I'm recognizing now is that a lot of this is kind of like an exercise in translation by virtue of your discipline and your disciplinary values. So like Joanna, like I'm very into everybody look at the book together, <laughs> look at this passage together. Right. And it helps them to explain why things might feel a little false in an environment that is not conducive to those kinds of interactions, which may not be so much personal as they are disciplinary. And as a result, like what this makes me think about is the way in which this actually gives us a roadmap to thinking about how we're going to teach 
or hold meetings or do whatever in these virtual environments because we have a disciplinary muscle memory that is specific to each different area. So for DJ, it might be like broadly live theater or or the the, the motions of people in space in person. Sure, for somebody sure. like Joanna and me, it might be the, the deep dive into a literary text that then we share through conversation. When we listen to what our bodies are telling us pedagogically though, that helps us to make a roadmap then to how we maybe not recreate, but at least approximate that experience online. It doesn't mean then that one size fits all, um, that all these different tools that are available to us through Canvas are gonna work for every discipline. It means you pick and choose, but like as I was saying earlier, Listening to your body in terms of like, I need to shut off my computer and go out and exercise might also be um, sort of finding it, its analog into something approximating pedagogy. Like this doesn't feel right to me in this way, but maybe if I try it this way, it will. And what I'm trying to get at is the stuff that um, may not be missing, but it's just not available in the same, in the same format. And what you're saying kind of returns me, and I'm mindful of our time together, um, it returns me this question of, you know, is it possible that um, the coming of the sickness, that, I mean, this radical, hurtful shift um, in the lives of so many people will uh, require that we become more intentional about the way we relate to each other at work, you know, um, that we honor each other's time and we mean it. When we call a meeting, we're ready, it's regular, it's about something we care about. It's not just to punch a clock or check a box or to exert, you know, control over a situation that it's it's to problem solve to the extent we can as colleagues, you know, to connect, to pool our resources when pooled resources are called for, but not just to pass the time and not to, you know, just present content with, you know, long speeches and not, none of that. Um, really to get in there and solve something. Like um, a colleague of mine um, who I admire um, often says in a Zoom meeting when it starts going this way or that way, what are we solving for? What are we solving for? You know, so glad you're all here. How are you doing? What are we solving for? If we can't explain what we're solving for in a meeting, maybe that's not a respectful use of each other's time, you know, um, especially in this context when the time is so precious. So let's go around the circle, closing thoughts. DJ. Well, one of the I'm closing with there's there's positive and negatives to mode life we're living, and the positives are clearer for me when we're talking about G. What what I'm trying, what I'm learning from you, Lacey, are some of the efficiencies that can be built into Zoom meetings to make everybody happier. So thanks for that. I love it, Mike. Yeah, I would just echo what DJ said. Um, this has been really helpful just in terms of like putting uh, like a label on something that feels kind of amorphous and, and difficult to categorize. So uh, one of the things that I, I have appreciated so much about this kind of forum is learning about stuff that I did not know from people who might be one building away, but have never had the opportunity to actually um, chat in a concerted and focused and deliberate way. So thank you so much, Lacey. I really appreciate it. I know she actually works at our very school and she has such magical secrets that all of us can benefit from. Lacey, final thoughts to you as we look again down the barrel of a fall full of Zoom. You know, I was thinking I'm so glad that DJ and Mike brought up 
this cool pedagogy parallel because we're meeting with our students, right? So it's the same thing. And one thing that I've learned from online teaching and, and talking to people um, and experience myself is like, I think one thing we can remember, like why our students loved our in-person classes and why we liked some of the in-person meetings that we had is because we were enthusiastic about them and the students pick up on your enthusiasm. And so I tell people to treat meetings and same thing with what you choose. Like Mike said, you have all these different pedagogies and what, what you're, how are you going to choose the activity or approach you take? And I say it really comes down to not just your discipline, but you, what sparks joy? What makes you enthusiastic? What medium are you excited to go in there? Did you just invite me to Marie Kondo, my meeting agendas? I, and so, yes, Marie Kondo. I am so happy. And so I have, (laughs) I have said no to meeting. Like I have canceled, I'd sent out and said, I am canceling this meeting because it does not spark joy. So, um, I I can't officially (laughs) recommend that. (laughs) Well, I, but no, but, um, no, but it was my meeting, right? So it was, it was, it was my meeting. So I called the meeting and I said, it doesn't spark joy, but here's what we're going to do instead, because I think this would be more fun, but I could do that because it's not my meeting. I don't think we could like, you know, email the dean or anything. It's that I will not be attending because it, it does no, not. That is not recommended. But I do think like um, it is important to really, I, I love the intentionality. And we talk about this. This is a common thing I tell every, if there is one consistent finding in everything in organizational psycho- psychology, what makes people happy? What makes people unhappy? We have all different styles. There's not one style that works. But what makes people happy is, do you feel in control? And are you intentional about that strategy? And if you're accomplishing those two things, you're good to go. So I I like this, you know, this idea of meetings, be intentional, make sure that you're using medium to match what the purpose is, and then try to make it spark joy. Mm -hmm. Forget the joy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, DJ, Professor DJ Hopkins, the Department of Theater, Film, and Television, Professor Mike Borgstrom of the Department of English and Comparative Literature, and Lacey Barber of the Department of Psychology here at San Diego State University. Um, Lacey, we'll have to have you back to talk about email. And um, I think in some upcoming episodes of the Faculty Futures Lab, we're going to profile our colleagues who have been winners of the Spring 2020 Faculty Forward Awards, which... Um, recognize people who are extraordinarily agile in that spring 2020 pivot, so stay tuned. And if you want any more information about this series or about um, faculty support work at SDSU, um, the website is fa.sdsu.edu. And Lacey, throw out your Twitter handle real quick. Uh, At Dr. underscore L. Barber. There you go. You know, so tweet at her if you want a nice reminder to get off your device and be present. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, so much.